0: Hello and welcome to our webinar, Communication Strategies During Times of Crisis. My name is Jonathan Sitko, Assistant Director of Programs for the Catholic Apostles Center. And I'm here today to greet you and run uh, host this webinar. Um, we are pleased to have John Grasso, Director of Digital Media for the Diocese of Bridgeport here to present today on this wonderful topic. Uh, if you have any questions, feel free to message them in the chat. And also just so that you know, at the end of this presentation, there will be question and answer. So please use the questions tab At any point during this presentation if you have questions. And with that, I will turn things over to John.
1: Well, thank you, John, and thank you everybody at the Center uh, for making this happen. I'm happy to join you from my living room uh, in Connecticut, uh, where we are currently preparing for a phased reopening of um, uh, public worship here in um, the Diocese of Bridgeport. So today we're going to be talking about communication strategies during times of crisis, Uh, not just specifically COVID, though we will absolutely talk about uh, communicating in the time of COVID, but communicating effectively with your staff, your parishioners, and the larger community in any crisis situation. Uh, My expertise is in social media, and social media has uh, allowed us to respond to crises uh, almost immediately and in a very effective, quick way. But they also, it also has exacerbated, I think, the uh, the crisis in general. You know, sort of in the abstract, it, more crises happen. Uh, they're usually a little more robust in their appearance. And so, I, I when I speak to organizations and to parishes, no one's really exempt from a crisis. Just a very quick intro about me. Um, got my bachelor's at Boston College and my master's at Sacred Heart. Uh, here in Connecticut. I'm the Director of Digital Media for the Diocese of Bridgeport. I started in January 2015 as social media leader. I also serve as a consultant. I work with a lot of individual organizations and parishes, as well as as other dioceses to leverage social media to meet strategic goals. Um, And I built the Diocese of Bridgeport social media from scratch, Uh, amazing to say, or amazing to think it was five years ago. Um, And the other thing I'd like to say is sort of uh, a testament to my boss, Bishop Caggiano, was really uh, empowered youth and young adults, uh, specifically young adults uh, in in my case, because I was uh, 22 when I started and he uh, entrusted me with this vast operation, uh, put his money where his mouth is at at empowering and mentoring young adults. And so I have been blessed to have a seat at the table on the administrative cabinet to be able to have firsthand experiences with every crisis that we've endured the past five years and also to have a voice and input on them. Uh, so with that, I have gained experience. I get to do this. I don't have to do this. This is, this is my passion. This is my vocation, and I'm you know, grateful to Bishop Frank and the Diocese of Bridgeport staff for that. So what are we going to talk about today? And the first is we're going to talk about sort of some guiding principles of how to respond in a crisis. I've kept them purposefully vague because ultimately what I'm going to tell you is, is that there are best practices, but responding to a crisis is going to depend greatly on your community. Uh, responding to a crisis means having a pulse on your community. The best way to do that is, of course, digital and social media, especially in this time. Um, you're, we're also going to talk about communicating to different groups. You know, in every stage of a crisis, you're going to have to communicate, maybe to your pastor, maybe to your bishop, maybe to a parish leader. Uh, and there's almost like a case that you're going to have to make. And so we're going to talk about how do you communicate to those different constituents uh, in a timely way? And then lastly, I wanna talk about what to do when the crisis hits, um, a timeline, uh, the different types of crises, and then how social media sort of rounds them out. And then of course, to talk a little bit <clears throat> about uh, the case study of what we did in the Diocese of Bridgeport. So first, some context. Uh, it should come as no surprise that there is a new normal that we are, are faced with. Uh, it has been exacerbated in the time of COVID, but it has been developing for probably the last decade, and that is that social media has permanently altered the landscape of communicating, specifically during a crisis. It removes barriers. So it removes the barrier of the press. in a lot of ways, it removes the barrier of the press conference, the podium, and it gives you a direct line to your people. So this is uh, where a lot of leaders feel very vulnerable, which is true. but it is also the most authentic way to communicate to those people. And if porn is correctly, it's the best way to reach them. So it's, it, 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 it's funny how communicating in a crisis is sort of like a distilled version of communications, right? Responding to a crisis is something that plays out on social media almost exclusively now. Uh, I was talking uh, earlier this morning to the bishop and to um, my, my boss, Brian, we were discussing um, how uh, the print in our, our diocese is really, uh, they're lacking significant resources. And even our Fairfield County Catholic in the middle of this crisis, though it still goes out, was unable to respond to people immediately, which is essentially what social media uh, does and, and has to do. So it also allows you to communicate directly to your people and to communicate consistently with your people. It's that direct link. Uh, the downside of that is crises are now more public, they're more frequent, and they often play out in this entirety on social media, and they can start from something as innocuous as a comment. Uh, and so we're going to talk a little bit about that minor crises versus major and ongoing crises, um, And the context sort of of the social media world is specifically in COVID, the numbers are staggering. The diocese has had exponential growth on digital and social media platforms. And the reason that I say this is not to toot our own horn. I mean, part of that is because of, of the work of my great coworkers and of Bishop Franks, but it's because Communicating in a crisis starts well before a crisis begins. It, communicating in a crisis means that, you know, to do it effectively is laying a foundation before that. For months, years, um, the last five years I've worked for the diocese, we've worked at building trust with your people, responding to the faithful, having an open and direct dialogue, and building a digital culture that is reflecting that culture, the physical culture of your parishes, of your schools, of your communities. And then doing so in a transparent way, allowing people to talk to you about things they they don't think they can talk to a diocese about. Uh, So the secret sauce for communicating during a crisis is having a consistent, strategic, dedicated, open communication strategy on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram that is evangelizing, that is to the extent that you can, catechizing, that is um, a forum for people to gather and to speak about their faith. So the last thing I would say too, to provide some context is no one is really ready for this. No one's really ready for a crisis. They don't, they teach crisis communications when you get your master's in communications. I can confirm that, but they don't teach communicating in your crisis. Um, No one's told me how to communicate in a pandemic. So be prepared to be thrown off your game plan. Some of the the people that I value most in my life, the mentors, the experts, so-called, they will tell you that every crisis is different and at every point their plans have been uh, shattered by a twist or a turn. So you have to be prepared to adapt on the fly. So some guiding principles, very basic. The first and second both come from the bishop. He sat me down in our interview and we talked about what it would mean to communicate in a crisis. And he said, I have two rules. The first rule is tell the truth, always. That's why his podcast is named Let Me Be Frank, because that's what he does. Um, And so that is my rule for you, tell the truth. I can't believe I have to say that, but uh, I do in the current context of the sort of the geopolitical world. The second rule is communicate quickly, transparently and accountably. Quickly because social media affords people an instantaneous response to what happened, to what happened. So the crisis will play out and people will respond from the minute that it starts, so you have minutes or hours to respond and to set the narrative, that rather than days or possibly even weeks, uh, like you did in, in previous sort of communications worlds, you also have to communicate transparently. It's very important to walk people through each step of the way. Here is what we're doing. You know, I always say, right when a crisis breaks, you're pretty much guaranteed to be able to say, you know. We are monitoring the situation. We are aware of whatever happened. We do not have an answer for you yet, but we will get back to you and we, get, we, will, we plan to get back to you within the next couple of hours. You know, Be upfront with your people. We're working on it. You know, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. We will get there. Um, it's very important that you do so and you give people a, a limited window into your decision-making process because people feel there's a buy-in there. There's, a, there's an approachability to it. And then, of course, accountably, uh, establish timetables and timeframes of when you're going to respond or what you're going to do so that the faithful can hold you accountable. And own up to it if you did something wrong. We all make mistakes. We're all human. We're all fallible. If there really is a mistake that you've made or there was an error, it's okay to say, you know what? We messed up here. We're really sorry. And here's how we're going to make it better. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. The third rule is my rule. And it's, it's again, this is almost as basic as the first. It's don't make it worse. Uh, and there are ways to make it worse. Um, guessing makes it worse. Uh, telling half-truths makes it worse. Not moving fast enough makes it worse. Uh, not consulting the people in your, uh, in your diocesan or parish staff members that should have a vote in this makes it worse. Uh, arguing makes it worse. So pretty much there are, there are a lot of don'ts in crisis communications. But before you even get to those, you have to consider the following question. Who are you responding to? Is it a donor? Is it a faithful? Do they come to mass often? Or where do they fall on the liturgical spectrum? The reason is not because you want to judge them. The reason is you need to understand who they are, why they're upset, and how best you can help them. Crisis communications is about solving problems. So then next is why are they or will they be upset? Is there a particular group that may be upset? In a crisis such as the closing of a parish building or the merging of a parish or a school, there's a very specific constituency that will be upset. So it's important to know them so that you can communicate effectively to them, but also so that you can meet them where they are and walk them through this process. How upset are they? You know, On a scale of one to 10, is it a one, they're mad because of something they saw on Twitter, they don't like a particular story, or is it a 10, you know, the closing of a building, the, you know, the coronavirus, um, you know, unfortunately, the the scourge of the sexual abuse crisis, uh, that informs your response. If it's a one, you might be able to meet that person individually instead of having to post an aggressive communication strategy. If it's a 10, you have to scale your uh, response proportionally. The other is how many people will see this. That's sort of what we were talking about before. Again, you're not trying to hide anything but you may be more effective at engaging a specific group privately or intimately with just them as opposed to engaging the greater diocesan or parish structure and then of course how long has it been since the crisis started if you're following my advice from the previous slide it has not been very long and then again how bad is it has it been a few weeks and you didn't notice a you know a a budding crisis um has it been a few minutes and And again, really assess. This is the most important moment of a crisis is what is happening before me? Get all of the information. And then the last bit, I say this in all of my presentations is how would Jesus respond? Really, truly, how would Jesus respond? Uh, You need to remember in all things that what we're doing, specifically on social media, there is a need to be compassionate. There's a need to be loving. There is a need to meet Fellow parishioners as disciples, also on the road. Um, you're not going to win any hearts and minds and bring people to Jesus if you beat them over the head with an aggressive, defensive response. But at the same time, you are not going to bring any hearts to Jesus if you let people run, you know, run all over your social media and spew alternative facts or project motives on you that don't exist. So it's really important to pray and to take some time in a crisis as things are going crazy, as it is, your response is demanded immediately, to think, what would Jesus do? How is this going to be? How could this be an evangelizing or a teaching moment for people? And, and how can I be that vessel? Some more guiding principles. Your response should be empathetic. It's okay as long as the, um, as long as the sort of circumstances are not overly... Aggressive. So, you know, if for instance, if you're responding to somebody on social media, it's okay um, to be empathetic, to say, I can understand why that would upset you, provided they're not, you know, cursing you out or yelling at you. It it is okay to meet people a little bit in that road and to acknowledge their feelings. In fact, you should. There's no healing unless you can do that. Again, of course, we talked about transparency. Be very upfront with people. This is what we're dealing with. Here's what we're trying to do. you need to be clear and accountable um, to timetables and to history. If something has happened in your parish history, your diocesan history, personally, and people know that, it's okay to kind of acknowledge that and then pivot. Uh, we've talked about timely, but we haven't really talked about firm. We alluded to it in the last slide, but it is important that while you're empathetic and kind and gentle with people, that you're firm with, the, with people, especially on social media, that border on the troll. you're firm in your response to a media that wants to push an agenda you're firm in your response to a pastor that's not entirely sure if this is if it's appropriate to get into the fray you you need to stand true to your catholic values and your catholic principles and you it is perfectly okay to stand your ground Uh, we have a lot of people on our diocesan site that sometimes offer um, a different opinion, which is perfectly fine. But of that, of that group, there's a small group of people that, alter, that offer sometimes alternative facts or project a narrative on us that does not exist. And so it's important to say, no, no, that's not how we think, that's not how we feel, that's not, the, that's not what this is about. Um, it's important to be consistent. Don't tell one group one thing and another group another. And it's important to be frequent Um, you know in social media people almost demand hourly if not daily updates because the world has trained us to think that things are happening every single minute that things are being updated every minute they want their answers and they want them now i'm not saying that's a good thing i think actually there's a lot of societal issue with that but the church can meet those people where they are to the best of our extent which is to say We will, even if there's nothing to communicate, we are continuing to work on it. We have no update for you at this time. Uh, It's important to constantly reassure people because this culture, particularly culture in the United States, is used. they're used to hearing, especially from their organizations and the brands that they affiliate themselves with, they're used to hearing from them a lot. The church should be no different. Lastly, your response should be dialogical in some way. There should be, you should not just post your response on social media or send a press release and say, okay, we've responded to the crisis, whatever it is. You know, we're sorry that the parish is closing. You know, we're, we're sorry that you know, something happened uh, you know, with the, in a particular celebration, but it happened the end. You have to allow for people to have their reaction and have their feelings. Social media is a forum. So it, it is literally designed for people to have an input on what happens. And so you'll find that people need to vent and almost verbally or digitally process their feelings on a particular crisis. Providing them a safe space where you can not control it, but certainly shepherd your community through it is very, very important on social media. So it's not the time to batten down the hatches, throw a response out and say, We are done. No more. Good night. I'm done. Can't do that on social media. This is the time to lead from the front, to have your leader get out there and say, this was unacceptable the way that it happened, or I'm sorry that I had to do this, or I am the one that is closing the parish down, or I am, you know, I am the one that made this change in the community. It is not the, social media has sort of upended the old model, which was a press release or a PR person or a spokesperson would deliver the news. Um, Social media means that the bishop on his account is gonna break good and bad news. It means the parish needs to have an open discussion on what is going to happen on their Facebook page. Um, And so of course, as we said before, responding to those comments is absolutely necessary for that purpose. So next, I really wanna talk about communicating to different groups. Um, Over the course of a crisis, when we talk about the timeline, you're going to have to speak to different groups the last is going to be your parishioners slash your flock, slash you know your clients. The first is going to be your leadership, your pastor, your bishop, you know your parish leadership. And so when a crisis breaks, and so often it happens on social media, you see a post that breaks news, or if it doesn't happen on social media, you know you talk like it's a planned crisis, so if you're talking about parish mergers, employment changes, um, a community is being closed, an event that you've done every single year at your parish is no longer happening. That's a planned crisis. The first step in in any crisis is to talk to leadership. To, To be a communications person means you have to go to your leadership and say, okay, so your decision or this outside force has caused what we believe is going to be a crisis. We need to respond and here is why. Um, more often than not, my experience with parish leaders or with any leaders is their first response to a crisis is not wanting there to be a crisis, which is a perfectly normal, perfectly human response that almost everybody has, which is no, 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 never. I don't, this is not going to happen very quickly. That recedes though. It's important for the communications person to say, no, this is going to happen, you know, we're, people are going to be upset about this for a specific reason people are going to have a hard time with this for a specific reason when the coronavirus outbreak really started to deepen in our region we border new york city um we had meeting after meeting after meeting uh you know bishop frank was very much on top of it but from a communication standpoint i was going to him daily with reports saying you know, people are starting to get worried. People are saying this. And, you know, to his credit, he was willing to act on it almost immediately um, in the sense that, you know, we, we moved quickly uh, to do what we had to do, build our website, and which we'll talk a little bit about later, to suspend public mass. But nobody in that room wanted to do what we did in the sense that nobody, nobody wanted this to happen. We all, you know, we, there's that scene in Lord of the Rings where uh, Frodo says, I, I wish the ring had never come to me. Nobody wants a crisis, but you have to acknowledge the hard—you know—it's the hard truth of this is happening, and so therefore we must react. And so Bishop Frank was excellent at that. Um, that is not every—not not the case everywhere. There are some leaders that will say, "Well, no, I—I I don't really want to make a mess of this. I want to keep the status quo." In those instances, it's important to stand your ground. It's important to say, "No." From a communications, I am, I am the communications person, and therefore, I know people will be upset about this. I know they will have a hard time with this. And so, therefore, I need the, the communication to go out in this way. I need it to say this. I need it to be empathetic. And nine times out of ten, a good leader, especially a good pastor, will listen to you. Um, because they, you know, my experience with most leaders, particularly with mine, is, is they know what they don't know, and they rely on their people to be the experts in their field. The next is you're gonna have to communicate with your staff. In a crisis, you cannot leave your staff, your coworkers or those subordinates uh, in the dark. That is a recipe for disaster. At the same time, you do not want to tell everybody in your office because that is the, the easiest way to have a leak. And leaks are not good because you cannot control the narrative on your terms. And often leaks are misinformation. People don't leak it fully or leak you have an agenda would so say calmly and expeditiously brief your team. Here is what's happening. Here is wh- how we're going to respond. You know we still need to keep the trains running on time, so designate specific people to do you know the normal work. Whenever there's a crisis in the Diocese of Bridgeport, I always brief my coworkers and I give them the keys, so to speak, to our normal social media. say I, mean, I, I need to make sure that The tweets and Facebook posts are still going out on time while we prepare for this crisis. I need you to man the phones. I need you to ensure that the operation is still running, that we're still promoting events in two, three months, four months, because there will be an end to those. In the case of coronavirus, uh, we had to triage the entire team um, with specific responsibilities on on how to prepare for the releasing of our specific communications. And that's important too it's okay to delegate and it's important to triage do not take this all on your own Um, and again don't brief the entire office the way that we do things um, whether it's a positive announcement or a negative announcement is the office gets informed along with our presbyterate along with our key constituents just before it goes out you know maybe five to fifteen minutes before it goes on social media uh specifically we want people to find out in their email inbox and not on, their, on you know, the Diocese of Bridgeport Facebook page. And so that's a best practice. The next block of people are your parishioners and your flock. And so once you've communicated to your pastor, your parish leaders, your staff members, you know which direction you want to go in. You have gotten the input and the direction from the leader because you are not the leader. You are just the conduit for the information. Then it's important to communicate in a clear and concise way with as much information as you can give, answer the questions, endure the complaints, and calm down the anxious. People are going to ask you the same questions over and over again on social media. People are going to ask you questions they could have easily found the answer to by clicking the link. People are going to ask you questions they easily could have found the answer to by watching the video, or they could have found the answer to by deducing themselves. It is be patient. People are anxious, specifically with ongoing crises like the sexual abuse crisis, coronavirus, anything that we've had to endure, people are anxious and they're afraid and they're worried and they need to be, need to be comforted and they need to be met and encountered in that moment. It's Very important that you keep your patience with those people. So some just general best practices. We've talked about a lot of these, so I will go, I will go a little quicker. Um, don't have multiple messages, your employees, your flock, your stakeholders should know the same thing, which is the truth. You you should tell the truth to all of those groups of people and not, you know, unless it's a very specific type of communication, you should not tell any one group more than another group because it will get out. And then the group that did not hear will be offended uh, that they did not get the majority of, of, you know, of what you are responding to. Um, Again, don't tell your employees or stakeholders too early, but don't leave them out of the loop. We just just covered that. And sort of what I think is extremely key here is convene a crisis committee with key staff members and have them review all large communications. Not every Facebook uh, comment response, but every letter, every major release should be reviewed by your team. We're gonna talk a little bit more about that later, who that should be. And then again, as we've said again, now again and again, respond to concerned or upset people, including members of your staff, uh, but choose your words carefully. You know, it's not uncommon to have members of your staff be mad at something that is occurring, that has occurred to your organization. It's okay to sit down with that person and reason them through it, to walk with them through it. Um, And it's okay to do the same thing on social media. As long as they're being kind to you, there's no uh, personal attacks there 's no profanity it's okay for someone to be angry and for you to encounter that person and say, "I understand why you're angry here's why we did this. I understand that you don't agree with us, but we're praying for you. but you are under no obligation to respond to someone who tr- who treats you uncharitably. Unfortunately, in my time uh, working for the diocese, but also for working working for other organizations, I have received death threats I have re- received received uh, crazy communications i've even had some digital um, stalker would be a strong word but people take it very seriously and so for those people my advice is you do not have to you're under no obligation to engage with them uh, short of trying to reach them with that first communication so the crisis hits The first thing before we talk about a timeline is we need to identify the fact that not all crises are the same I've talked a little bit about that um, as we've uh, gone through this webinar But I really want to sort of break this open. The first is sort of a minor to moderate crisis. crisis. Um, The example would just be a bad quote in the local press, some negative social media comments, not one, but let's say a few, Um, possibly an employee that's angry that they were let go, a personnel issue. 90% of crises fall in this category. And i would say the vast majority of them that become major or ongoing start here not all of them but the vast majority of them start here so it is important extremely important that you scale your response appropriately that is to say if it's a minor crisis you don't want to respond with the full force of your organization Um, you know an announcement everywhere people can see it a full you know full investigation a full commentary on everything because that will escalate the situation dramatically, and some negative Facebook comments or a bad quote in the local press does not demand a full court Blitz response. However, if you underestimate a crisis, if you do not make those you know, do not respond to those Facebook comments, you run the risk of two things. The first is you and the, you run the risk of a larger narrative about your organization uh, developing. They don't respond. I don't understand why they even have social media. They don't listen to complaints. They never listen. They don't care about us. That's very dangerous in the long term because we talked about earlier, social media is about building bridges. It's about building trust. It's about evangelizing. But you also run the risk of diminishing what is a legitimate complaint, a legitimate concern, which can then escalate into a major crisis or, God forbid, an ongoing crisis. So it's important to scale your response appropriately. And you can, the reason I can't give you more than that is because it greatly depends on the crisis. It greatly depends on your gut, it greatly depends on your team. And so it's important It's important when responding to respond appropriately to the crisis. The next version is a major crisis. This example would be major personnel issues, uh, furloughs, layoffs, et cetera. The closing of a parish or a school, um, a, a, a priest personnel issue. These are major crises and they demand your full operations and your full scale response. Every arrow you have in your quiver, you must employ to respond to a major crisis. Um, you also need to anticipate medium term disruption to your normal operations. That means your communication, the communications office, or your the staff that you surround yourselves with will be wrapped up in responding to this crisis in some capacity. That's okay. It's important to then prioritize responding to the crisis over what would be termed as sort of normal times because you have to respond and get it, you know get through it. And be prepared for long-term implications and reverberations. If it is a major crisis, it's going to come up in the future. The situation may have resolved itself or been resolved by you or your leader, but people will still hold on to pieces of it. There may still be scars. And so that's going to define the long-term narrative about your organization, and it's going to play out on social media probably pretty frequently. People will always be, well, remember this, remember this, uh, when they're commenting. And then there is the crisis that we're currently in, and that is an ongoing crisis. Um, the two examples I have here are the sexual abuse crisis and the COVID-19 pandemic. Two extremely different uh, crises, but fall under this category. It's usually my experience with this is it's unprecedented. I mean, no, there has not been a pandemic for a hundred years, so that that certainly qualifies as unprecedented. And then, of course, the sexual abuse crisis is, was a was and continues to be a terrible scourge. Um, that our, our bishops and priests and lay people are working very diligently to uh, work through and, and, and overcome. Um, but they never really go away. And it's, that's okay. You need to permanently affect your narrative. Every organization is going to have, you know, mark their time now, pre-COVID, post-COVID. Um, there are going to be fundamental changes to our way of life for at least the next year to 18 months, according to the experts. That's okay, but it means now finding your equilibrium within that ongoing crisis. And I can tell you from experience that that, that is difficult. It's, And we're gonna talk a little bit more about that, but it's extremely important that you recognize that you're in this for the long haul. So again, we talked minor to moderate crises. Um, in responding to it, take a moment and consider your options if it's a few negative facebook comments or if it's a bad quote in the, in the press do you respond or do you not respond you know the comments is it is, is there profanity is there an, you know is there an attack on your person do you delete or do you not delete and does this have the potential to escalate and how can you de-escalate it so that you can work with this person to encounter them and again bring them closer to jesus Draft a response if you've decided that you are going to respond and get it approved by your leaders, your staff, your pastor. Remember that especially when the minor to moderate crisis, if it's playing out on social media or if it's playing out in the press, you really have minutes, maybe an hour, not hours or days to respond. So people need to be expeditious in their review of a response. And then again, as we talk about, scale the response. That there's a couple of negative comments on social media about an initiative that you've started. You do not need to send a press release telling people why the initiative is good. You simply just need to respond to those comments and probably investigate how to appropriately communicate the positive nature of whatever it is you're trying to convey. Again, respond to the negative commentary on social media. And then if it is something, you know, if a parishioner is reaching out to you and says, well, you know, I had an issue. Um, with the priest at my mother's funeral, communicate, follow up with your staff and with your leader to ensure that that issue was addressed. So that, that person doesn't come back and say, "Well, yeah, you wrote me a very nice response, but nothing happened." Um, it's not your job to be the executor of sort of making of of making it right, but it is your job to be that bridge so that your organization or your leader can connect with the person that's upset about what happened, and then they can come to a, a smooth resolution. A major crisis, we talked about convening a crisis team and addressing uh, the issue immediately. On that crisis team, communications, obviously. Your parish leader, pastor, obviously. Legal, if you have it, finance, if you have it, and if, you ha- if it relates to your DRE, if it relates to your youth minister, that affected department needs to be at the table because they know their ministry best and they're gonna help you help them to respond. In a major crisis, it is imperative that you respond immediately on social media, thanking people for their attention, for their comment. We are looking into whatever the issue is, that you share it. We will update you as soon as we know more, and we are actively working on it. That buys you a few hours to draft a, a stronger, more action item oriented response to a major crisis. But you must go out there initially with we are working on it we do know because people will understand especially if you spend time building trust with your with your people on social media they will understand that you're on it and they will give you the benefit of the doubt for a few hours and they will be reassured prepare your response to the press my experience lately is the press has been just basically ripping off whatever we post on social media for the response but sometimes you have to deal with them directly And then after you've prepared your response, it's time to produce actionable items, things, how can you make this crisis better? What can you do other than offer some nice, kind platitudes or promises of prayer, both of which are important. And then of course, as I said, transparency and accountability are key. If you did something wrong, if something is really upsetting to you personally, acknowledge it. To speak from a very personal standpoint, one of the most powerful things that Bishop Caggiano did when the resurgence of the sexual abuse crisis happened is in his statement, he conveyed his very true feelings, which were right at the top, I am sick to my stomach. That was authentically him, completely his own words. And people felt such a calming presence of knowing, okay, he's upset too, so we're gonna be in this together. It's very important that you do that. And then again, When posting your response on social media and getting into the comments, it's very important to express your viewpoint, but it's very important you do not get overly defensive or argumentative. I don't need to harp on that because we've talked about that a bit. An ongoing crisis, of course, convene that crisis team. We have been meeting every three days at the diocese over Zoom uh, for the Coronavirus Task Force that I am blessed to be on. And then your first statement in an ongoing crisis is the most important thing. It defines the narrative for the entirety of the crisis, and it must come from your leader. It must. As I said before, it must be empathetic. It must have actionable items, and it must be honest. When Bishop spoke about the coronavirus um, response that we were issuing, he was very clear that he wanted people to know we actually don't know how long this is going to last, but we are going to monitor it, and we'll be in regular contact with you as it happens. And then, as I said before, you really wanna reassure people. Let them know you are with them until the end. We've been doing that for our our COVID-19 response, daily check-ins on Twitter and weekly check-ins on our Fairfield County Catholics Facebook group, telling people we are praying for them, we are with you, and that we will be with you until the very end of this crisis, until it is safe to go outside, to hug, to do the sign of peace, to be with each other at mass. If it's an ongoing crisis, specifically one like this, it is imperative that you prepare short, medium, and long-term communications plans. Check in regularly with constituents on digital media, and then, of course, personally reach out to them. And then create a space for people to complain, to vent, to come together to express their common frustrations and respond to them. I cannot tell you the amount of times I have reached out to people basically saying, you know, when they comment on our stuff, I'm really upset about mass. I really wish I could receive the Eucharist. And I respond very personally from the diocesan account. You know what? Me too. Me too. We can't right now but me too i totally understand what you're saying set firm guidelines and parameters for yourself in an ongoing crisis my office and i are discovering this firsthand burnout is very real that the ongoing crisis is 24 7 and it continues it will eat up as much time as it can from your day so we're trying to rotate vacations we're trying to rotate off hours people manning the storefront and some people resting the frequency of your communication depends on the length and the stage of the crisis. So for instance, we are not communicating as often as we would now, as we were when this crisis broke out, but we are upscaling our communications as we prepare for the reopening of, of public worship. Right now we're outdoor only, but we are hoping to scale that up as the state scales that up and as health professionals tell us, that's okay. So That means communicating more frequently. Um, this point is extremely important. Uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci said the virus is going to tell us when the crisis is over. In the same way, any crisis, the people are going to tell you when the crisis is over. Not that they're going to say, okay, it's okay, the crisis is over. They're going to tell you in their actions, in their commentary, in their demeanor, which you can sense when it's okay to start phasing normalcy back in. You will be able to tell by their reactions. If they're still upset about it, then guess what? You're still in the crisis. That's okay. You need to know, you need to know where your people are emotionally on that spectrum of, of recovery. And in the immediate wake of a crisis, keep news and information on your digital channels light and positive. Pay attention to optics and adjust messaging when necessary. So for instance, um, when the coronavirus outbreak happened, we had tons of posts scheduled for various events that we were trying to promote. So of course, part of what the crisis response was taking a dive into our content management system into Facebook and saying, delete that, delete that, delete that, delete that, that's okay. Um, And continue to respond to comments and ask questions. Um, One of the things we did after communicating the suspension of public mass is we were so blessed in the diocese to have incredible priests, very creative, incredible, dedicated, loving priests that went out into the ether, uh, live streaming mass, uh, bringing the Eucharist, you know, two people's doors, eight feet away, you know, in a, in a Eucharistic procession, uh, food drives, you name it, it happens. Sharing that good news with people was very reassuring. Sort of now, and we're running a little bit lo- we're running a little bit out of time because I really want h- to hear your questions, but let me, allow me just to finish. The crisis hits sort of a timeline. This is, this is pretty much as universal as I can make it for the three types of crises we talked about. The first is convene a crisis team and issue your first response on social media and the press. That's within three hours. Got to get that done. Day one is triage, you know, your all other tasks to employees that are not working on the crisis and focus on the crisis. Respond and monitor all comments on social media. Day two, follow up communications if needed. Day two usually is when the dust settles, days two to three. And so people are going to say, great, we heard your initial communications, but now what? So day two to three is is the time to communicate. Now what? It's also probably your time to check in with your crisis team and your community to see where they are so that you can get a read on, is this an ongoing crisis? Is it major? You know, is there more action items from our organization to get to people? What do we need to do? Days three to five is showtime. It's time to convey a tangible action items and timetable, or at least the timetable to the timetable. You need to tell people when they can expect some tangible fixes to what they're upset about. Weeks one to two, probably more like week two. It's the time to phase in normal communications. You can talk about a ministry that, you know, had a meeting and you'd have some great pictures or had, you know, there, you could talk about the food drive. You can talk about positive news, the nine positive news, and you can slowly phase that in. It doesn't need to be crisis central on your social media from then on. And then ongoing is establish, promote, and make sure people know about regular communications intervals and check-ins. A little on managing the comments, and I've got a little a brief uh, DOB case study that you can quickly look at and then we'll have questions. Managing the comments is you're not gonna have the ability to res- to vet every response to every comment you get on social media. So it's a little bit about trusting your gut. And it's, uh, it's the, perhaps the single most important thing you can do to manage a crisis on social media because it demonstrates authenticity and transparency. So how do you do it? Best practices would be stand your ground and support your points, but do not argue. Stick to the facts. Keep your sources, cite your sources, but keep your comments fact-based in the case of COVID, science-based in the case of any other crisis or any crisis, pastoral, kind. And you should respond to direct questions and know when to cut it off. Know when, you know what, this person's not getting it, I've tried my best, time is the only thing that will solve this. And you should not be on the left or on the right. You should not be traditional, you should not be contemporary. You should be on nobody's side when responding to comments, but Jesus's. Middle of the road, folks, that's what you have to be. And manage both sides, which often have an agenda on social media, and bring them back to the center, which is Jesus. A little DOB case study, and then I'll get to questions. For COVID-19, here's essentially what we did. Uh, When the crisis escalated to the point of New York was in in trouble, we immediately communicated uh, directly from Bishop Frank, essentially saying, we're monitoring it, here are the steps that we're taking, and we will keep you updated and scale our response as the crisis deepens, which we did. When we finally got to the point of suspending public mass, we created our COVID-19 resource page and our live stream page. Sort of as a resource for our parishes, but also for our people. Here's everything that we have on this crisis. It's right here, you can find it. We did that for the sexual abuse crisis as well and our pledge to protect website. Um, and it's constantly updated. We see a ton of traffic on that. Then we reoriented our entire social media strategy to live stream recorded Sunday Mass, which the bishop does, and 70 out of our 78 parishes do, uh, to good news slash hero stories from parishes in our schools, um, prayers for our first responders. We created an atmosphere of open dialogue. As I said, I still relate to people in the comments saying we, that are upset about not being able to go to Mass or being able to receive the Eucharist or having trouble receiving the sacraments, That I miss them too. It's okay to say that. Uh, We responded to all sort of substantive comments, pretty much anything that came in that wasn't, you know, uh, a well-wish or a prayer request or something that had profanity, we responded to it. And then, of course, we reoriented the weekly podcast of the bishop to speak a little bit about the crisis at first, and then to offer some deep theological reflection, uh, which is important for people that are missing the opportunity to gather and worship. And our pages, as a result, grew exponentially, and I'm not sharing this with you, to toot my own, ho- own horn, I'm sharing with this, this with you as sort of a compelling reason to jump into the digital world, um, to reach people. Our website views were up, you know, 233%. Our Holy Week live streams had 50,000 viewers over five minutes. You know, our Facebook and YouTube have also increased in followers very significantly. And that is not just the case here. That is the case for my brothers and, and, and sisters in our parishes. It's the case for my fellow colleagues in the diocesan world. People are coming here. They're coming to our digital tools. They're coming to our um, digital world, to our sphere to interact, not just because they have to, but because they want to. And in the wake of coronavirus, the high water mark is not going to recede on digital media that significantly. People will go out, they will be out in the world. God willing, very soon we'll be able to be out in, in mass and we will be able to not have to worry about this scourge in our midst. But people are still going to be connected to you online if they connect to you during this time, which is so very important to start to build that, um, that base, to build that foundation, to create that digital, uh, that digital world. Because you can be the bridge to, to people that are on the fringe of Catholicism. You can be the support to Catholics that are already in the pews. And God willing, there will never be another pandemic in our lifetimes, but there will be another crisis. And so you can begin to lay that foundation of trust, of accompaniment, and love now. Now is probably the best time to do it. We're all at home. We're all Zooming in. Um, So that's my pitch. If you're not on social media, um, you should get on there. And I'd be happy to work with you individually if you need that help. So with that, questions? Um, I see that some have popped up here in the chat, so I'm just going to try to load them real quick. And we'll start from the top. Uh, Matthew asks when is it appropriate to hide or delete negative troll comments versus responding to them and so my line has always been uh, is there profanity or is there a personal attack in the post if the question is yes then they do not get a response Uh, I've now added are there significant alternative facts in the post as well Uh, usually my experience is very difficult to reason or that person does not want to reason with you they just want to be mad and so if there's there's a sort of if there if it meets any of those categories it is appropriate to hide and to delete um what i have done instead of initially hiding the comments is is, if we have established rules on our page and if they break the rules i say this is a warning you've broken this rule you've broken this rule the next time you're gonna your post will get deleted or hidden the following time you will get banned um so that's sort of what i do specifically on facebook twitter you just twitter you can hide the response and i think i would be more active at doing that on Twitter. Um, Sue asks, hi Sue, how in the world can we do this if there's only one person managing communications? There is no team, it's just me. Um, I understand that. We, we have a very limited team on the diocesan level, but parish people, if you're lucky, you're lucky if you have a communications person. Um, and that communications person is often handling many, many different things. That's okay. Um, my response to that would be, it's important to do what you can. So in creating a digital strategy from scratch, don't have a Facebook, a Twitter, an Instagram, you know. Focus on having one thing that you do very well and then scale upwards to your ability. Now, if you're in a crisis, it's actually a little bit easier in the sense that if it's just you, just focus on the crisis. Work with your leader, your pastor, your parish staff, and just focus on the crisis. Um, and then and then rely on your leader to tell you where the line is. So perhaps you don't have to, to check in with people every single day on social media. Perhaps you say, it is only within my capacity to check in with you. We're gonna have you know, digital walk-in Wednesday. Come in with your complaints, your concerns, and we will talk about it then. Basically just get creative, but be upfront with people. Um, I have taken to, with the Diocese of Bridgeport stream, people sometimes on Facebook will reach out to us on Saturday evening demanding an answer. And so I've got an automated message that goes out that says, hey, you know what, we have a very limited staff and we just can't be present on Saturdays at this time. We're very tired. Um, We can't reach you. We're, you know, we need to, or, or we're working on X, Y, or Z. So be honest with people, you know, not having the, the time to manage all of this because you're wearing many different hats is not weakness if it's your reality people need to understand that and i think they will uh john kennedy hey john um asked how do you prioritize social media channels facebook twitter instagram etc use all or shotgun approach uh five years ago if you asked me that john i would say shotgun approach is the way to do it um I don't know if it's I've seen the light or social media has evolved. I think it's probably mostly the second part, but a little bit of both. My answer to that is unequivocally no shotgun approach. Uh, Reach, the question is to your parishioners, where where are you? Where do you, you know, where do you want us to interact with you? So, I mean, everybody should have a great website, but from social media standpoint, uh, look at your parish demographics and then match them up with the demographics of the social media medium. So if it's a suburban parish that skews people, you know, 35 and older, then Facebook is definitely your bread and butter. If that is not entirely in line with your strategic goals, right? So if you want to reach younger people as well, well then Facebook and Instagram sort of a one-two punch. Um, but more, the, the long and the short of it is meet people where they are and ask them where they are. Uh, Rachel asked if the slides are going to be shared, and thank you, um, John, for responding. Yes, they are going to be shared. Um, They're great. The center is absolutely fantastic. And then we have a question here is, how can we best engage two-way communications via social media? It's a great, great question, um, albeit maybe a little complicated. So, um, what I would say is, first you have to kind of pick your platform, right? I and mean, I do like hour long presentations on how best to engage people on social media, but the long and the short of it is you have to pick your platform. Sort of what I was saying to John, are your people on Facebook? Then go to Facebook. If they're on Facebook, then it's, it's as simple as posting, it, excuse me. Uh, posting once a, a, um, a day, which is a best practice or posting as often as you can, um, short of once a day. So, Posting what's happening in your parish is probably a good way to start, uh, or your organization. What's happening? What's the news? And then the big sort of existential question that you must ask yourself is, why should people follow me on social media, right? What's the utility? What are they getting? So if every single morning they wake up and they check Twitter or Facebook, why would they come to my parish or organization page? What are they getting? Other than and my news is not appropriate an appropriate answer. My news means, you know, that you're communicating what you want to communicate, but the people aren't necessarily here hearing or getting something that they want to see. So is it a daily connection to their faith? Is it a something for them to chew on in between Sundays? What are you trying to communicate? How can you adapt that to something that will be a daily utility to your followers? And that's how you can start an engaging process. Um, Every post should have some way in. So it doesn't have to have a question at the end of it. And what I mean by that is, there needs to be an inviting tone in your post. There needs to be something that implicitly or explicitly communicates. You can ask, you can work, or you can have an opinion, you can enter into this dialogue. Too many, too often I see people um, post You know, like a very matter of fact, very basic, very professional, tied up, buttoned up, you know, something or other on social media. And there are no comments because people don't really know what to do with that. So allow it to be accessible for people. Um, Allow people to open the door for people to come in. And if you want to talk about that a little more privately, like I said, it will take some time to kind of really go through exactly how to specifically strategically engage with people, I'm happy to give you my contact information afterwards. Jonathan asks, should we pay for a promotion on Facebook or only share to our our likes? Um, I am a firm believer in Facebook's uh, advertising system. I don't get paid to say this. Um, It is not as good as it once was. But... Social media is becoming more pay to play by the day. And so it's vitally important, particularly on Facebook, that you strategically promote certain posts or your page. Um, do not pay for likes, but pay for a promotion, your, your page or a post to get a little more out there, uh, to kind of cheat the algorithm, to beat the system a little bit five dollars is a really goes a really long way for instance if you want to promote a post ten dollars etc i mean in the long term i hesitate giving this advice because then there's more incentive for facebook to continue to optimize its algorithm for people to have to pay but we the church has an obligation to get our message out there my boss talks about um, baptizing social media which is theologically, you know, my my wife cringes when I talk about it, but my boss means um, using social media in service to Jesus, in service to his church, bringing people to the church, and if you can't get your message out there, because that's the way the system is, is set up, it's set up to not optimize, it's set up to not promote posts from people with fewer than 100 likes let's say it's set up to not promote posts that don't get 15 likes in 10 minutes it's set up for certain things well then we need to find creative ways around that so that we can get our message out there so that we can take what has become a very difficult very secular very angry place and bring it back to the light and bring it back to Jesus anything else we've a couple minutes but other than that
0: Thank you, John, for this enjoyable presentation, and thank you to everybody who uh, participated and attended this webinar. Um, as John had mentioned, this webinar will it has been recorded and will be shared on CatholicApostleCenter.org um, within the next week or so. So I invite everyone to follow us on social media if you haven't already on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, uh, as it is a pretty relevant uh, topic right now. And uh, also please follow the Diocese of Bridgeport if you haven't already. They have a lot of great information as well. Um, And with that, um, may I urge you all to, with the charity of Christ, urge us on. Have a good day, and God bless. Thank you all.
1: Take care.